You're listening to the Road to Wisdom podcast, weaving stories told by wonderful minds about all things motherhood, health, intimacy, politics, nature, and everything in between. Join us on an adventure discovering unique experiences that we can learn from to enhance the ways in which we live. We are your hosts, Chloe and Kishia. Hello. Hello. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Welcome, Camille. Camille. Thanks, ladies. We're actually so guys, but definitely ladies. We're definitely women, no confusion. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> I'm so excited to talk to you today. I feel like we've been virtual friends for years now and we've never met in real life. But yeah, we do but- know each other deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's <laughs> these kind of relationships that just click from the start and I just knew you yeah. from first moment I hit follow. Yeah, I remember it's reaching out to one of our mutual friends from when you lived in Oz and I was like I met up with her and I was like I'm just so sick of studying my naturopath degree it's just rubbish she was like you would love Camille I'm gonna link you (laughs) yeah I like convince people to like stop their studies yeah (laughs) you're a you're a channel for that um but yeah no I feel like I've just watched you over the last couple of years just go on this journey of full self-responsibility um Mm. from when you were living in Margaret River in Western Australia and you were like I'm leaving and I was Mm. like oh okay like I'm moving to Mexico I don't know how I'm getting there but I'm figuring out and you kind of just have that mentality where you're like I'm doing this and Mm -hmm. you do it Mm -hmm. and you kind of just slip into that um you're you're that person who for me when I look at you just taking absolute self-responsibility and accountability for your actions and kind of showing up in places where people kind of struggle. And so I guess I I just would love to talk more about that. Um, Yeah, and also share some of your backstory. Mm. If you want to share a little bit about just the last couple of years and who you are and what you are about. Yeah, we could, I guess we could start in Margaret River. That was definitely a big catalyst for – there's always like junctions in our life, right, that we change dramatically if we accept the initiation that is like difficulty. And being in Australia at that time with all that was going on, I could feel deeply that it was no longer in integrity for me to stay. And yeah, the, the way that the politics and the country were going, I could just I just knew it that I had to go. And – the leap into the unknown. I mean, I've done it many times. I'm I'm familiar with moving, but I have a deep love for Australia. And I, although I'm Canadian, I, yeah, I had it in my heart to like live there forever. And life said no, um, not literally, but energetically. And I think the more we listen to that part of ourselves, that like little knowing, the like, whis- it starts as a whisper always. And then it gets a bit louder and a bit louder. And then if you don't listen, it'll manifest in, you know, whatever, like, terrible life-changing rock bottom that you have to experience but I've I've learned to listen to the whispers and so I kind of knew I was like okay I'm leaving Australia I knew probably a couple months before I left and it yeah me operating in that in that country just didn't feel right anymore and it's not to say that it wasn't right for everyone it really is like a personal journey it's the same as whether you stay in a job that's no longer right for you or a relationship you know sometimes the answer is like work through it and stay like persevere. And then sometimes it's stepping away. And for me with Australia, I knew then it was stepping away. And so I had the calling to go to Mexico. And yeah, like you said, it was not an easy journey there considering my medical status. 
and yeah, four continents, 60 Can hours. I- yeah. Can I interject, Mm -hmm. Um, Camille? So could you give us a quick timeline of when all this was happening, just to put it into perspective for everyone This is hilarious that you're asking me to timeline something. I'm like so (laughs) terrible with dates and times and timelines. (laughs) Okay. One time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's maybe I'm going to blame it on being like in my feminine. I'm just like, whatever, something happened once. (laughs) Okay. It was at the end of 2021. I'm okay, pretty sure. Cool. It was December it was December, I believe. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And yeah, I spent the whole pandemic in Byron and then drove across to Western Australia, kind of trying to just feel free. Um, I mean, a dance of the inner world work and the outer world. Like, you know, they kind of are co-creating together. And yeah, eventually I just got the like the ping that I had to go. So December, I think it was actually December first, twenty twenty one. I might have to correct that as I tell the story, but I, yeah, I took this 60 hour journey to Mexico, four continents. Wow. But an experience and yeah, I got to Mexico and it was a transformative nine months. I spent nine months there and really took a step out. So I'm a freelance writer and yeah, by trade in the holistic health, I have clients that are um, natural practitioners and natural supplements and stuff like that. And then I write for my own website. But getting to Mexico was like, I, I think the portal into stepping really into my femininity. And I've been exploring that concept for a long time. But truly that like place for me, I think energetically and astrologically, I've looked on my astro cartography since and it's really like the place to do that work for me. Um, yeah, I stepped out from behind the screen and I felt really familiar there, like behind the written word, especially like, you know, you can edit what you say. And even though I didn't have to do that that much, it was like a safe place for me, the written word. And then Mexico, I just kind of broke free from all of that. And I, I really give credit to the trusting of the intuition that that's where I was meant to be as opposed to the force of like, no, I want to make Australia work, which I think we do in a lot of places. I know for me, I did that in my last relationship, which was also coming to an end in Australia. There was a lot of endings for me. And so in trusting that that intuition, Mexico like opened up so much in me. I started hosting ecstatic dance, working with women one-on-one, hosting women's retreats, and just like everything flowing so easily. And finding a kind of peace in myself, I guess, too, that I hadn't experienced in partnership And this longing, I think like many women have to be in partnership, but self-abandoning like nobody's business for years and years in partnership. Um, Yeah. And then doing this deep work on myself to find what it meant to be in my feminine, the Temescals and the dance. And I mean, so much Mexico really held me. Oaxaca is where I was. And yeah, then I met my partner. He slid into my DMs with like... (laughs) extreme certainty that I was the one and four minute voice note was the first thing he reached out with wait straight up (laughs) four minute voice note Mm -hmm. wow I hope you kept that yeah we've yeah we've listened to it together since I definitely still have it that's Um, amazing yeah and then yeah I moved to Austin we like very quickly he came to Oaxaca for 10 days and within two days we were looking for a place to move in together. And that was like, I guess, seven or eight months ago now. 
now live in Austin and I'm still doing a lot of women's work, women's circles. A lot of it's been on taken online now because yeah, I'm still getting adjusted to the city life. And yeah, that's, I guess, in a nutshell, my <laughs> past few years. So prior to that, with your work, what mm-hmm. do you typically see? Like, what does a day in the life of your work kind of mm-hmm. look like? Pr- today like modern like if you're working one-on-one with a a woman Mm -hmm. what what kind of work do you just really enjoy doing yeah I think the best way to describe it is mirror work Mm -hmm. and the concept of the mirror of course is everything is reflecting you back to you and so if you you know you look in an actual mirror you're looking at yourself but if you use the concept of mirror work in the world everything that you see is telling you something about you. And it's not always black and white. And sometimes it requires a bit of curiosity and yeah, dream work maybe, and definitely support of another person, especially if it's confronting stuff. Um, I essentially help women see themselves in through the eyes of like the world around them and the things that they believe. And I think rooted really, like, you know, you said, I think we started chatting about before, we started recording is radical re- responsibility is owning you know who you are and to me that is that is consciousness like consciousness is the act of radical responsibility and stepping out of victimhood and we do that by taking our judgments of the world and learning about ourselves and that's not just negative you know i think the it's profound confronting work to see the negative judgments we have of others and and turn them on ourselves but also the positive stuff, you know, when we see someone and we might think that they're so confident or that they're so beautiful or that, you know, they have something we can't have. Jealousy, like on the other side of the jealousy coin is inspiration and everything we see in the world, good or bad, is just basically informing us about us. And so that's, I think that's at the core of what I I support women with is kind of coming home to their bodies and taking ownership of their life and stepping out of victimhood. Mm, that is it's massive right because it's so easy like when you're in a relationship and I'm sure we can all relate is when something's not going right we're like oh our partner is doing this or they're not doing that but it's it's the last thing you do is look at yourself in the mirror and say well what am I doing because am I the one who is at fault here or am I the one who is you know bringing this conflict to the table constantly, you know, it's so much easier to do that, right? I mean. Oh, totally. How do you, though, really? Because, I mean, if you're, you know, and I can relate to not being modelled that behaviour ever in my life, and so it's easy to acknowledge it, but then embodying full accountability and responsibility for your own behaviour and actions. It's like how do you actually step into that? arena and so when you're doing work with women how do you actually go there do you know what I mean yeah totally it's definitely not a one two three step right there's no like formula Mm. and I think part of this especially you know working with women is is like abandoning the concept of a formula because the feminine has no formula like it flows with what is and so I think the easiest way to address healing and it's such a huge topic right whether you want to call it shadow work or healing or inner child healing there's so many transgenerational things going on all at once and it can be overwhelming but the reality is if you just 
take every situation that's in front of you and explore it with curiosity, especially after the fact, right? Right When you're triggered and you're in a, in a, a disagreement with your partner and you think he should do this and he thinks you should do this, that's not really the time to unpack. And especially, especially with a partner, you know, that's why I don't really believe at all in couples therapy. Like the problem isn't the relationship. It's how both partners are projecting their shit into the relationship. And so after the fact, when, you know, everything's said and done, finding a container, and I think it, it is really appropriate for women to work with women and for men to work with men and for women to sit in circles. Like there's, it's not just one-on-one. It's really, there's a place for so many different types of mirroring. Women's circles are awesome because it's less confronting. You hear yourself through the stories of every other woman and you're like, oh yeah, I do that. Like, oh, well, yeah, that's, you know, I, I needed to hear that. But in the one-on-one container, just taking situations as they come one at a time and with curiosity, unpack them. I think questions is like the biggest tool that I use with women not to be like, oh, you should have done this or wouldn't have been better if you d- you did that. And of course, like sometimes I slip into that, right? Like the hero archetype wanting to like bestow the answer onto um, people, which just never works. But asking the right questions and and there's a lot of different work. Like Byron Katie has a great tool. Her work is called The Work. It's like trademarked as The Work. And one of the questions she asks is, is it true? And then if you work your way through her work, at the end, you turn around the judgment. So an example is if you think like, you know, you're in a disagreement with your partner and you're you're then unpacking it later with me and your judgment of him is, well, he's so impatient, you know, like he's just too impatient. And with humor too, I think is a great tool because it helps pierce through like how, you know, the ego just wants to be like, wants to hold on to that thing. Like, well, he was, he was being so impatient with me. Like he was just trying to brush it off and, you know, just to press pause too, men and women think differently. Like we operate completely differently and we love to pretend that like men think like women and vice versa. Like we really, which is beautiful. Like that's how we co-create life, you know, the yin and the yang, the river bank and the flowing river. Like we need both to create partnership and polarity and chemistry and all that stuff. So it has, it's really has its place, but the judgment we have of the other, he's being so impatient. Well, like just sit with that concept for like half a second, you know, he might be being impatient, but like, are you being patient with his impatience? Probably not if it's, if it's pissing you off. (laughs) And so at the very least, mirror work can start with compassion for the fact that neither of you can be patient, you know, so it at least brings that to the surface where you're like, oh yeah, okay, well, yeah, actually I wasn't being patient. And it doesn't mean that they weren't, you know, that the other person is like, it's it's really not about the good guy and the bad guy, but it's about understanding and then creating a bridge. I think really understanding how we're all the same. And it, it, road rage is another perfect example. Like tell me you've never done the exact thing that you're pissed off at the other person for on the road. You know, it's just like, it's laughable actually. <laughs> Yeah, that's hilarious. That's no, I like I was just going to say um and I think I've spoken to you about this before Chloe that I was thinking of an exact moment where um 
lately it's been quite tense in our household. We've got a lot going on. And um, I've been looking at my husband when he loses his cool and like just like why are you losing your cool? And as like as I'm looking at him going, you're losing your cool, like I'm losing my cool <laughs> <laughs> while he's losing his cool. I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, my <laughs> I mean, gosh. Yeah, and you like pick up on these things and you're like, mm. oh, okay, no. Like I'm, I want him to stop losing his cool because mm-hmm. I can see that the children feed off that. And I'm like, at the same time, I'm thinking like, you're the adult, you should be holding it together. The kids are losing it because of you. And I'm inwardly losing it and mm. doing the exact things I don't want him to be doing. And then, yeah, so then like, then you can turn it around and like, yeah, anyway, like you were saying, then I can like step out of it a little bit and be like, oh, okay. And then as soon as I stop inward that inward dialogue of why is he I notice everything diffuses mm-hmm. <laughs> like totally you, yeah it's insane or yeah, it goes the you- other way and <laughs> you say why are you doing that and then suddenly you don't speak for a day <laughs> and like when you're in that place right whether it's a day or an hour or whatever mm. you're in your head you're like well he should you know he should come to me and apologize but like turn it around it you get really good when you start to see the entire world as a reflection you're like well I can't just drop it and turn around and apologize so you know it might not resolve the problem straight away but at least you can understand the other and really there can't be war when you understand like you can't connect with someone if you're connected to them, you understand them, you can't be at war with them. You can at least have compassion for the fact that neither of you have the capacity or the tools to bridge the gap, but it no longer becomes their fault. And so by stepping back into that place of power where you're no longer the victim, like you may have some shit to deal with. You may have some things to figure out, which I also work with women on, you know, tools and what they need and the a lot of coming home to the self and the softening and getting back to the creative flow and nurturing themselves. And there's like so much, there's a lot to it, but I think, yeah, at the core is that radical self-responsibility that if you can't own that nothing is happening to you and, you know, that typical saying everything's happening for you, if you can't acknowledge that and own that, then yeah, you become a victim to life and you might get really good at acting conscious, right? Like giving the right things and saying the right things and you might even look the part, but you won't have inner peace. And so at the end of the day, you know, you can look, you can look feminine and you can dress feminine. You can have the flowy hair or whatever and wear only linen. But at the end of the day, you know, having inner peace is what to me is health. And I think, yeah, I think that work, it's profound work and it's, it's definitely worth it because I've come full circle and I did not have this, you know, for the many years of my life where I kind of just dwelled in like well if he just you know if my part my ex like if my ex just did this and then we could be happy and if he just did this work or if he just did trauma healing then finally we'd be happy but like any judgment you have like I had trauma healing to do like I had to own my role in generating every situation in my life and then when I did that I found inner peace not all the time but like you know there's still the stuff there's always the stuff but like the core wound for me was relationship. And so you can apply the mirror work to any dynamic of your life that needs addressing. And yeah, 
I came out of it. And so I know for a fact everybody can. Um, Camille, can I ask, I'm really interested, um, for a few specifics in your previous relationship that Mm -hmm. alerted you to, one, you had patterns that you needed to deal with, um, and two, when to end it. Mm -hmm. Mm, The second one's a nice... Well, it's going to be a nice long answer, but yeah. We've I got mean, a whole look, podcast. The, the first most obvious um, reason I knew this wasn't the one, you know, is it, it's actually super ironic in terms of like mirror work lingo. So he told me multiple times that I wasn't the one. <laughs> okay. Well, that'll do it. Like, but it, no, it didn't do it. You know, I was like oh. in my head, I was like, well, he's got, and look, it, it's a dance, right? It really is because part of partnership is holding space for the imperfections and the the hardship that is relationship. Like there's, for me, relationship is a container in which both partners heal, right? We all have wounds. We all have stories and self-limiting beliefs. And the container of relationship really is so powerful to heal in. And so with with my ex, I could see the wounds like very clearly. I, I knew they were there. I was his first partner despite him being 37. Like there was a lot of stuff there. But the dance of that is that at, at some point turns into self-abandonment. You know, it's kind of like fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Like there is at a certain point believing what they say. And so I because of chemistry, believed he was the one. And so I would ignore when he would tell me literally like point blank, you are not the one, <laughs> which in hindsight, you know, is like always 2020. And <laughs> now I would absolutely agree with him. Um, but yeah, there were a lot of points in that relationship. I had been celibate for years prior to him. So in many ways, he and I were very similar. And yeah, the, the fact is that I had desires in partnership that weren't being met. And the big one, which is the starting point of relationship, is deep commitment. You know, if you want a committed relationship, it requires both partners to say, I'm in this. Like, I'm, you know, I'm committed to you. And yeah, he never did that. And so for a couple of years, (laughs) I decided that he to not believe him basically. And so that was my work was to unwind like, and and I knew really from the start, like if I had to be completely honest and I, yeah, I won't make the the story too long because it could go on and on and on for like five episodes, (laughs) but I was meeting parts of myself every time we broke up and having to really question my beliefs about myself and partnership, my desires and how very quickly we slept, slipped into like a mother-son dynamic, right? Where I was like, yeah, come on, like if you just do this, we can finally like be partners. And that is not hot. Like that doesn't <laughs> – it isn't? What? No. Yeah. I mean, it could arguably be used in some scenarios. I mean, <laughs> I guess it depends what you're into, right? Totally. <laughs> Apparently, there's a whole like level of no. I won't go there. Okay, mm. continue. Well, there's. I mean, yeah, and there's. I'd been studying so many of these teachers, right? David Data's work, Julia Allen's work, all these different people teaching about conscious partnership and what is possible. And so, having to to piece together the fact that I had this desire in partnership, and 
I have a lot of compassion for that version of myself because we are not mirrored healthy relationship for the most part. Like what we learn about love is from our primary caregivers. Like that is love. We're like mom and dad, you know, or whatever version of caregivers you have, We that is love to us. And so all the dysfunction becomes imprinted on our nervous system. And typically like I had, yeah, we're playing out patterns that we've seen growing up. And so I had to unwind a lot of things. And, you know, that looked like a lot of different modalities, a lot of dance and neurotraining and temescal and really years of somatic therapy and just kind of little by little without force picking it apart to the point where when I closed the door it wasn't it wasn't forceful and that's actually something that I I work a lot with with women is not using force when it comes to stopping behaviors that aren't healthy I think too often there's this like hustle mentality when it comes to healing and you know like just the quitting cold turkey, for example, or, well, he's bad for you. So just block him all, you know, all the platforms and move on. The reality is I participated in the pattern as much as he did. And if I was just to close it off and move to the next person, you know, like it's, it's his shit. It was both of our shit. And so I took the relationship to really get to know myself. And yeah, every time we broke up, which was many times, I got to know myself a little bit better. And every time I self-abandoned, you know, I've told the story many times, but like on our first date, I had music playing in the car and he kind of pressed next a few times on a playlist that I'd made, like with all my favorite music. And eventually I'd then go. Red flag. Oh, yeah. I mean, he turned it off and... I never played music for two years in our relationship. I never played the music because it was so like, well, he clearly doesn't like my music. And so I would rather preserve the, like, you know, the version he sees of me that isn't like someone who plays bad music. I wanted to keep the relationship alive. And this was unconscious, of course. I would like didn't consciously think, but it was in retrospect, you know, I'd done a lot of self-reflection and I looked back and I just saw these points at which I chose to keep the relationship alive over my relationship to myself and so little by little you chip away at yourself and you lose yourself and it's common like I see it you know I see it in my clients and I think one of the reasons why I hold a good container for women is I was there like I I know what it's like to abandon yourself in partnership I know what it's like to be the victim and despite, you know, being a relatively conscious person on paper, my friends were like, okay, you have your like life together and all these aspects. Like, what are you, like, what's going on? Like, where, like, what happened? But yeah, it was my, my work to do and to overcome. And I don't even like the word overcome really. Like I had to come home to myself. These weren't, these were things I learned about myself in the world that created wounds that invited me to step out of integrity to protect the things that I, you know, I had wounding around. And I think that's, I think it's an important reframe too, you know, stepping out of integrity, like out of alignment with your values and with the life that you theoretically want to build, they're just protection mechanisms, right? And at the end of the day, understanding these wounds and coming home to yourself, you just slowly create the life that you want to live and you find that inner peace that, yeah, to me is vibrant health. Mm. I just want to go back to Kashia's question about when to know 
it should be over. Mm. What about what about healing in the relationship? Because I see a lot of people who have been together for a long time and they're both completely different people now. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they've, you know, worked through their own shit, but, you know, they're in a long-term relationship, but they're still not, you know, like they're still kind of not where they want to be. And people be like, well, should we just end it? What do you think about healing in a relationship? Because I hear some people like Jake Woodard, Woodard mm-hmm. speaking about, um, you know, if if your man or your woman's just not doing this, like just leave, like it's he's not or she's not the one. And I'm like, oh, that just seems really harsh. What's your thoughts on actually healing in a long-term relationship? Yeah, it's absolutely possible if both partners want to do the work. And that's kind of what it boils down to. And I think that too often, you know, me included in the past, one partner wants to do that. One partner defines the relationship as a healing place and the other doesn't. I think ideally get clear on what a relation like what the intention of the relationship is to you when you're getting into the relationship but even if you're growing and you know I I mean I'll speak to the person listening to this because odds are the person listening to this is most likely the person who likes that kind of work who sees a a title on relationships and is like "Ooh, you know I want to do this work I'm doing this work this relates to me and then you might also be the person who's like "Ooh, I need to send this one to my partner because he needs to listen to this. And the problem with that is that we can't change anyone. And when we start to impose that desire of like nudging people into a different direction than they're going with their life is when we start to dismantle love. Like we, it's actually an act of violence against love to go to somebody else and say, hey, you know, I need you to do this. Because, you know, like you were saying about about birth, but in, in in so many ways, like we try and make the environment safe so that we can feel safe instead of, oh, it was with your partner. You know, you want him to to make the environment safe so that your children can be safe, but also, or like learn, you know, learn from him properly. But it's also for you and your nervous system. It's easier to be like to the other person, well, if you just do this, I won't have to look at myself because I'll feel calm because you'll be calm. And so when it comes to partnership, both partners, it has to be a desire that both partners have. Otherwise, by its very nature, the relationship, like one person has to abandon themselves. If both partners want to create a relationship where the container is about healing and it's confronting, it's like it, it, it's it, it's about learning how to communicate. It's learning how to own your shit. It's learning how to like know when to share and when not to share, know, explore your projections. Like there's so, it's it's a lot of work and it, I find it liberating and fun and exciting, but it's something that I value and not everybody values that. So if both partners aren't on board for the confronting, you know, ride that is in air quotes, conscious relationship, then one person by by its very nature has to self-abandon either the partner who doesn't really want to do it but loves their partner and is like, okay, I guess I'll do this, or the partner who's forcing onto the other doesn't isn't met, so they kind of abandon that part of themselves. Like it, it's I don't know that it's the answer you want because it does invite 
ending of relationships, but in the name of love, right? Like what is the most loving thing you can do is to honor the person in front of you. If you can't accept the person as they are and the fact that they're growing at their own pace, then you can't be, you can't love the person and hold space for that. Like it's, Mm. yeah, it's confronting. A hundred percent. I feel like um, there's a little bit of room in there though, (laughs) having been in a long-term relationship and like me and my husband have gone through the throes, um, Mm -hmm. which I won't go into here, but Chloe, you know, and I've gone into on a couple of other episodes um, where we were were working on our relationship at different times when we had space to. And for us through the really difficult times where it like we could have just been like, no, we've got to end this. One, we have children. So (laughs) how much can you actually end a relationship when you have children with the person? Um, But two, it it was the foundation of we know how good we can be and we know that we want each other and that was what held us together in those really, really tough moments. Um, And then when you come through that, obviously on the other side of it, we both had things going on where it was up to the, like we relied solely on the other person in the relationship to look after the relationship, to maintain our relationship. Because, you know, when you're in a really deep funk yourself, you can't, you can't work on it. You can't, you know, be present for that part of that aspect of life. So then, um, again, a dance. So, then when you come out of your funk, then you can then put the energy into the relationship and, you know, vice versa. Um, yeah, so I, I guess where I was going with that is would you find in that aspect there is that wiggle room? So, yeah. <laughs> I think we're agreeing actually because yeah, okay. I, I think the beauty is that – and I've, I've spoken about this with my partner because we both get triggered in our own times and we both go through it in our own times, but the – I think the the biggest work is to ideally take turns, right? If yeah. if both partners drop out of their capacity to hold space for the relationship, and it doesn't mean that the relationship's done forever. You know, that's Esther Perel that says you're going to go through, you know, five or six relationships in your life and it can be with the same person, um, which might mean a little separation or whatever, taking space, whatever that looks like for you. But it's not about both being in it all the time and both always 24/7 be able to you know do the work and hold space it's that's that's not realistic but like you said you both knew that you guys were there for each other you were in it and so it doesn't mean you both have to show up 100% of the time perfectly like we're human beings but both to be like okay you know like we're doing this and we might have shitty times and you might have a harder time now and I might have a harder time later, but that is partnership, you know, still at the end of the day being like, we're going to go through rough times and be here for one another. Yeah, cool. Thank you for the clarity. <laughs> I'm okay. I mean, I'm okay. <laughs> I mean, it, but, but totally. Do, do you get what I'm saying? Like it really, mm, yeah. it, that's, I don't think it, to, to think that we're always going to be able to show up at our best all the time is the most unrealistic thing ever. I think, when I get triggered and he can hold space for me and we, or we get in an argument, 
was actually the most transformative thing I've ever heard, especially considering my past. My partner, we were having a disagreement and I was the more dysregulated one emotionally in that disagreement. And he said, you know, although we're disagreeing right now, this doesn't threaten our relationship. Like nothing about this is threatening our relationship. And so I think, you know, at a, as a baseline, if partners can agree on that, like, you know, we can have the craziest disagreements. I'm going to get triggered. You're going to get triggered. We might even say things we regret, but no matter what we're saying, it's not threatening the relationship. And of course, love is not a prison. It doesn't mean that's going to last forever. No one who's in any relationship can predict the future. But that if it ever feels like there is a threat to the relationship, to have that as a topic of conversation. You know, like to be able to disagree in the container of a safe relationship is relationship. Like to be able to not be our best selves and to work through our stuff and see it come up. Like partnership is where all our wounds come up. It's where mm. everything is shown. Like this is the person you're spending the most time with. But yeah. oh, wait till you have kids. Takes <laughs> <laughs> a level up. I think I just want to. I just want to quickly slide in, and I just something came to mind. I kind of feel like that. You know, like my our generation, and I don't know about your parents, Camille, but it's it seems like for me that divorce was the norm. For you know, my my parents would weren't together for, from, you know, like when I was young and I feel like it was really rare to have parents still together. Um, and so I kind of feel like we're in this age of watching separation just be the norm. And when, you know, marriage was hard, it was just, well, it's over. And there was that, that was just what people did. And so there wasn't really any, you know, I guess there's so many people who struggle to see, what it looks like to actually go through the get to the other end and actually thrive in a marriage or a relationship because yeah do you know what I mean and so we're trying I mean and I can totally relate to this because my parents were separated and I didn't there was no modeling of any healthy relationship um in terms of like arguments like watching and seeing one evolve and kind of come to the other end and it be successful, it was very unsuccessful. And so I guess I just wanted to speak on or speak to those people who are like me, who have never seen that um, as, you know, you can get through those things and it doesn't have to be a constant like it doesn't feel like what I'm trying to say is when there's a really big argument it always feels like that's or a big disagreement that that's a threatening thing to the relationship as opposed to something that's a real threat to the relationship um so I I guess yeah go ahead no you go ahead well I think part of like what is a, a big misconception is that staying together is good or bad and divorce is good or bad. The reality is both can be the good or the wrong choice depending on how you're showing up because my parents are still together. The things that I learned, <laughs> you know, oh, the things that I learned from that was, and and I would, you know, now they're happy. You know, for better or worse, they, they, they stuck it out, but they both chose a, a route full of suffering where they stayed together and they made it out the other side 
but there was no consciousness in the relationship. And so same goes for divorce. Like there can be such a thing as a healthy separation and there can be such a thing as staying together in a healthy dynamic, but both require radical self-responsibility. Mm. You can stay together <laughs> your whole life and self-abandon your entire relationship and be you know, married when you die, but at the cost of what? And divorce, you know, I think divorce really speaks to where people are at. Like they they didn't have the capacity to stay together. But I see so many relationships where people stay together and they're also unhappy. So whether or not you stay together, if if the relationship is not rooted in radical self-responsibility, you're gonna have suffering and you're not gonna pass on the lessons that you're trying to pass on because mm-hmm we learn to stay too long or leave too early. You know, the anxious avoidant dance of like that version of relationship trauma, we do it until we don't. And so I think these conversations aren't to glorify staying together or separation. They're about really remembering that you create your reality by owning your beliefs, your actions, your words. And the power of that mirror work of being like, okay, what is it that I'm seeing in someone else? And how can I use it to be a better person? And in being a better person, you invite the whole world around you to change. I I mean, even not like there's just, I mean, I could take it in so many ways, but I know I wouldn't be able to hold my relationship currently with my partner in the way that I do had I not had to go through all of that and explore all of that and leave. I was it, that was about me. And and now it's so dramatically different, but only because I decided to take – and I, the word decide is, decided is interesting too. I actually don't know what spark exists within people to give them the capacity to do this work because it's not willpower, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I, I – yeah, I – you know, people stay too long or they leave too early, but – I don't think any are innately and I'm I'm totally pro lifelong partner like you know something <laughs> that I wanted but not at any cost I think is is the point. Mm. And I feel like I mean for me um this ties in you know polarity and being in your feminine as well because obviously if you are a single parent you slip into much mm-hmm. more of the opposite or if I mean let's just say you're a woman and you become a single parent you slide hard and fast into that masculine realm and then you try and you know raise children in that and then suddenly you know for me I'm just going to speak using me as an example for all of this um you know like I was raised by a hyper independent single woman and um you know, so I feel like a lot of relationship issues come from being I'm hyper hyper independent because I was raised by a hyper independent woman. So I kind of feel like we're Me all too. yeah, a lot of mm-hmm. a lot of women I know come from yeah, um separated families where um they've witnessed and were raised by strong independent, hyper independent women because they had to be. And so I feel like a lot of relationship stuff in our age is, you know, kind of coming back or trusting the man to, you know, not be 
creating those threats in the relationship or not creating the threats in the relationship, but feel like that's what's happening. Um, and so, yeah, I'd love to, I'd love to just explore a little bit on polarity for a second. Can, can I, can I interject just mm. for a moment? Cause it's really interesting that you said that, um, Chloe, because I, I feel like it could be also not even just that your mum was a single mum because my mum was in relationship like until my dad passed Um, and she was also hyper-masculine, hyper-independent. She went back to work when I was, you know, really young and then each of my siblings, you know, she was back in it, back at work, had nannies, didn't, you know, she was really in that in that masculine energy and um and I feel like that was it was so glorified it was a time where there was this glorification of women and like the feminine like feminist movement and all of this where women can do exactly what men do and staying at home and being a stay-at-home mum was like the worst thing you could do because that's all you're doing um so I feel like yeah that I mean I probably in your situation your mum was had to take on you know even more of that role being by herself but in it was in an age where that was so glorified to not need a man to not want like need any help to you know just get on with life shut your emotions down no connection to your kids um yeah, that kind of thing was it was like a culturally held mm. glorified. I feel like that's what situation. we're recovering from a lot of us. <laughs> um yeah. are trying to be like, well, I saw that and it that wasn't that didn't work for anybody. Um and now I'm a product of that or I hold on to a lot of those um patterns and you know that's my go-to for a lot of things. Um, and I, there's a lot of, I can clearly see that, but um, yeah, coming back to the feminine is something that's obviously quite, you know, it's buzzword at the moment, polarity, being in your feminine. Um, but yeah, I'd love to talk more about that. Just how, mm-hmm. yeah, if you want to expand on it, Camille, I know you've got a really beautiful way of talking on that. Well, yeah, same as me. My parents, you know, are still together, but my mom was definitely deeply in her masculine. She was the breadwinner. She was the one that went to work early in the morning, came back right before dinner that, you know, my dad cooked. And so I grew up in that same – I remember her saying too, like, you know, don't ever rely on a man for financial stability. And that was just passed down from my grandparents who, you know, they – they're from France and they went bankrupt when my mom was two years old. And so she has all this wounding around money and fear and again, protection mechanisms, right? Like I think you can take it to the the aspect where our patriarchal society, you know, has all this, but the, like the evil nature of like control and all that stuff. But it really, I don't think serves us that much. I think all our patterns are protection mechanisms. You know, the idea that you have to be independent to protect yourself and to be safe is a like a low a low vibrational or low consciousness version of what it means to be safe because it's things that our mothers experienced in their life or that our grandmas grandmothers experienced or that their mothers like it's it's a transgenerational transgener- pattern and the beauty is that we get to reclaim this and and say you know what this isn't working for me and i think the question 
that I lean on time and time again in my own life and with clients is like, is this serving my highest good? And again, back to healing these big patterns is just moment to moment. Like if you're faced with going left or right, being curious about both directions, you know, is this serving my highest good? Do I actually want this? You know, when it comes to coming home to your feminine, who are you? You know, what do you value? What do you want for your life? These like seemingly simple questions, but if you actually have to answer that question, most women have no idea. They know maybe what they don't want. And that's a great place to start. You know, looking at things and patterns that are not working for you is a good kind of reference point. But getting clear on who you are as a woman, what do you value? What's important to you? And then noticing where in your life you're not aligning with those values. I think that's kind of the the work of consciousness is taking responsibility for the times in which you say that you value X, but you keep doing Y. You know, you might value truth, but you, you know, lie all the time, even in little ways. And kind of just getting curious about the relationship between who you believe yourself to be and who you want to be in the world and then how you actually show up. And, you know, if we're healing the feminine, not using force, like the feminine is not forceful. And so a softening into this curiosity of like, well, you know, if you if you notice this, you want to be doing this, but you do this. Don't just try and stop doing it because that is it, that fails to understand that everything we do is a protection mechanism. Everything we do is a coping mechanism. And if you introduce force when it comes to healing things and fixing things, it's a very masculine way, like the fixer, you know? So as opposed to fixing, really to me, I prefer the concept of unraveling, like unwinding the patterns gently and softly, you know, back to that question about when is it time to leave? It's time when it's time. You know, it happens when it happens. And and for me, the, the power is when it happens and it's like, oh, it's time. Like, I'm ready for this. You know, it's not like, should have done this years ago. It happens when it happens. And I think that the more soft you can be with yourself in that process, the quicker it happens. Like that's the paradox of most things. But yeah. Mm, yes. So much to download. I'm I'm definitely a fixer. Is anybody else a fixer? <laughs> like I'm, con- yes. I'm like, oh, I'm doing it again. I'm trying to fix something. And it's so hard to be like, and that's, and I'm so glad you've touched on the feminine being uh, non-forceful because I feel like it's so easy to be hard on yourself when you're obviously aware of your behaviours and you'll, you get upset at yourself. You're like, oh, I'm doing that again. But, um, yeah, it does so easily happen when you have all those, you know, outer feminine traits. And um, But, yeah, it's, it's such a big thing at the moment and I'm so glad that people are, I feel like there is definitely a call to be coming back to ourselves um, on such a big, big, big scope, be it, you know, the way we're parenting, the way we're being in relationship, the way we're, you know, being in relationship to ourselves. But, um, yeah, I'd love to, you know, that's a big topic, polarity. and It's a huge topic. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another question, the simple one, you know, when it comes to, all this whole feminine reclamation stuff is like, is this working? Because so often we double down 
you know, we have a blueprint, right? We have the blueprint of our beliefs. And when it's not working, be it the diet you're trying to follow or, you know, insert whatever, it's not working. We have so many wounds around our self-worth that we think we're not doing it good enough. Instead of really being curious about the the modality, the way we're going about things. And, you know, you can see it in traditional gender roles in in partnership, you know, the 50-50 split where like everything is divided in the household. And then you become roommates essentially, right? Like it's, well, we split the the chores down the line and we split the pickups and we split up everything. And then really very quickly you become roommates. And although most of society is saying this is the empowered woman or maybe even like, you know, like I grew up witnessing woman is the, the complete breadwinner and she is the CEO and it's like, okay, but is this working? Like when you quiet your mind and you just sit with yourself for a second and tune out the world, like tune out the fact that people think that going, you know, back to work when your baby's six months old and weaning the baby and getting a nanny and going back to your big, you know, paying job is the idea of what society is deeming as success. Like, is this working for you? It never is, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But no. and here's the thing: it it like further splits our connection with our family, and it's it's like one of those snowballing movements. Like as soon as you're in your head, and I speak from experience, like I had my first baby, and three weeks old, I went back to work. She was three weeks old. I was still bleeding from childbirth, and I was like oh yeah, I'll go shoot a wedding. Great. 14 hours on my feet behind the camera. Fantastic. And you like, you do that and it just like splits the connection that you get with your child. So then it's easier to continue splitting that connection. And it's the same in in a relationship where like, you know, if you start taking on more of the breadwinning roles, then it kind of splits the connection for you to feel into the feminine and even like come to the realization this isn't this isn't working so you know and you get further and further away and it just like has this snowball rolling effect where then all of a sudden you're so removed from what what does work and you know you've got you know the rest of society just positively reinforcing that you should be working you should be a boss woman you should be all of these things um but then you know you've got like in the case of with children, you've got all these women with postnatal depression that comes up at, you know, four months postpartum, six months postpartum, a year postpartum. They're like, oh, we've got a pill for that. But in reality, you should have been sleeping with your baby. You should have been feeding every time your baby needed to be fed. You shouldn't have had them at a daycare from six weeks old for 10 hours of the day. And yeah, anyway, so I've just adding a, to that point. No, a hundred percent. And this has been a kind of a recurring topic in different um, parts of my life where like, this is not to negate whoever is listening to this, who, for example, has had a really hard time breastfeeding and, and to hear something like, well, breastfeeding is the most natural thing ever. And it, you know, and you should figure it out because we're mammals. Like, you know, there's no lactation consult- consultants in the jungle for the monkeys. Like it's just happens. Right. And same with birth. 
birth is a natural physiological. I've studied um, at Justice the you know holistic reproductive healthcare. I'm like so passionate about free birth too. Like it's just <laughs> I could talk for a whole other hour on free birth. But same with birth, like it, it's natural and it can actually be pain free and it can it's safe and all this stuff. But the reality is we've become so disconnected from this in so many iterations of dissociation that where we end up is so far removed from the natural reality of femininity, of flow, of all this stuff that it can feel so difficult to make our way back. But no matter what situation you're in and no matter how hard it might feel like, you might be like, no, this is not working. You know, a woman reached out to me and she said she's living in the jungle in a Columbia with her partner and their baby and her whole life looks perfect. She free birthed, picture perfect on Instagram. You know, they look amazing and happy but he's on Instagram (laughs) of course but but you know like she even free birth a lot of things that really would tick the box of like oh she's doing it she's living the life Mm -hmm. but her partner's mean to her all the time and she has no capacity to break through and so he's being mean to her and the partnership is not working for her but she's dependent on him financially and you know so many things are good but at the end of the day he's chronically and like really mean to her like the stuff she shared is mm-hmm. is intense so i have the compassion for the you know the woman who can't breastfeed or the woman who this and the woman who that but like it requires trusting life and knowing that if something is not working to figure it out lean on community lean on sisterhood lean on family reach we have social media reach out to people connect with people like create you know if you're a single mom find a a masculine role model to to help support you know that whether it's through sport or through school like there's always a way and sometimes we have to get more creative but i truly believe that every woman can come home to her femininity it might require creating something that doesn't exist in our society very often but it's always possible and and coming home to these more you know communal type supports which you you do see it's it, we're coming back to this the meal trains after birth and it's it is happening but it it also requires a leap of faith because odds are if you've stepped out of a deviation for long enough your whole life is going to seemingly crumble like if you to to honor yourself if all the structures of your life exist to prop up what is not working, it's all going to have to be dismantled. But on the other side of that is the like infinite potential of of you living a happy life. And I think same as me in my past relationship, I'm speaking from experience. We try and protect structures that are not working. In the name of what? Like of, of the fear that the next thing could be worse, but like you're living in a bad situation. Oh, there's so much to go on here. <laughs> I know. I, I would really love, Camille, now to um, to hear from you how your current relationship is and how this, you know, I've seen some things on social media where I almost want to be in your relationship. <laughs> so it would be great to hear from you, you know, um, I guess one I mean, you alluded to this before we started recording how you guys met, but mm-hmm. also what, you know, what are the things that earmarks of where you are currently at and how that's working for you? So we have a little comparison. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So we met through Instagram. Um, he reached out to me on Instagram through a nice long four-minute voice note, <laughs> as I shared with you before we started recording. And yeah, from the start, it was very different because there was a a, a grounded certainty that we would likely be good partners. And already, you know, from historically where there was really no kind of commitment, no kind of like direct claiming, you know, back to that feminine masculine pole of like, I think the the word claiming can be distorted, but I think every woman wants that, you know, to just mm-hmm. be chosen fully. And so it started like that. And we, yeah, we started talking a little bit and very quickly into phone calls and yeah, spoke for many hours. And then he visited me in Mexico and within two days we were like, this is it. Like, wait, 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 yeah. so, wait. <laughs> and he visited me in Mexico. Where is he coming from? Was he oh, in Mexico? He was living in Austin. Oh, so he just, he just, you know, just took a little trip to Mexico mm-hmm. to meet you. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, yeah. you know. That's not romantic. <laughs> not even a little bit. <laughs> swoon. <laughs> yeah, same. Major swoon. And but but yeah, I, I mean, I've recorded the whole story. It's like a ninety-minute uh, full story on my Substack. It's quite long. But like the long story short is, we spent a couple of weeks talking on the phone, really getting to know one another deeply, and getting really clear that we have aligned values and we have an aligned vision for the future, which I think is something that is like the big radical difference from my previous partnerships, where there was chemistry and there wasn't anything to back it up. And too often, you know, back to this idea of like staying in it, love, I don't think love is enough to to build a healthy conscious partnership. Love, the most loving thing we can do sometimes is to walk away, like to honor love. There has to be compatibility of like building a life with someone, right? Having shared values and a shared vision for the future. Otherwise, how can you possibly both honor yourselves in the relationship? And so he and I got very, very clear on how aligned we were in terms of the, you know, on paper stuff. And it was really like crazy aligned down to like living in a furniture free home, you know, like (laughs) Um, Katie Bowman stuff, you know, just like everything. And so to the point where we were both like, are we not going to have chemistry? Like, is this like, is that going to be the thing that is missing? And but yeah, we had chemistry. So by that point, we were kind of just. I don't even know that we were sure. We were both pretty sure, but we were willing to just go all in and see how it went. And so, yeah, I moved to Austin and it's going really well. And it's not to say it's not difficult at times, but we both have that shared desire to make the relationship a healing place. And so, although we do take turns, you know, like you said, having our moments and letting our wounds show and letting our ego, you know, ride the bus, like drive the bus for a little bit. The fundamental, like the foundation of the relationship is trust and safety and shared values and communication. And it's, it's like nothing I've experienced. And like, I love the concept of expanders, you know, people showing you what's possible, like showing your subconscious what's possible, because most of us don't have this, you know, mirrored to us, shown to us. 
And so constantly in this relationship, I'm expanded to what's possible of in partnership. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a wild journey. He's, yeah, he's amazing. If you have specific questions, go, I don't really know how to like (laughs) just share more, but. I feel like you guys have great sex. (laughs) (laughs) Can we go there, Camille? (laughs) We have great sex. (laughs) Great. But you know, part of that is constantly working on being in my feminine and Mm. to, to the point now where it really does happen quite naturally but like look we all work you guys are doing like we're all navigating femininity in a modern world where I love my work I although I think once I'm a mother it will all take a back burner like once we have babies it's gonna reshuffle things but but yeah if I try and and lead the relationship it does not work can you just on that because I know there's a lot of people who still really haven't even you know, uncovered what this means, you know, polar, they don't even know what the definition of polarity is. So they might be listening to this wondering like, what are they actually talking about when she says, come back to my femininity? Um, Maybe some dot points on yeah, what is feminine, what feel, is masculine. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, people are still, when they, when we hear the word feminine, we, we think about the feminist modern feminist movement Mm, which the opposite of feminist is the opposite (laughs) of feminine and it's really you know for a lot of women has taken us so far away from our feminine um selves and so I kind of just want to yeah touch on that and paint a beautiful picture of what it actually looks like um to come home to your feminine self so I'll start by what it's not. You know, this this modern feminist movement that I actually think it's almost shifting. I think the new feminist movement is a reclamation of the true feminine. But when we think of feminism, many people think of like birth control, you know, like the introduction of birth control. Reproductive now- rights. <laughs> oh my God. I could throw up. Like... <laughs> You know? Yeah. And I was in that for a long time of Mm, essentially becoming men, right? We can do Mm -hmm. anything men can do. And although in some ways that's true, it's at what cost? At what cost? We're cyclical beings, feminine. The feminine is a cyclical process. It's the seasons changing. It's going from day to night. It's, you know, our menstrual cycle and honoring the fact that we are different every single day as opposed to, you know, men who operate on a more infradium rhythm, just... Um, we have the infradian rhythm. They have the circadian rhythm, which we know we both operate on 24 hours, but we have the 28-day-ish cycle. Every day our hormones are changing. Every day our desires ebb and flow, our capacity to do things ebb and flow. Never good or bad, but the reality is sometimes we're more extroverts. Sometimes we're more introverts. Sometimes we need more rest. Sometimes we are more expressive, like understanding the fact that we like we flow. Our nature is flow and surrender. And we need a container like the river. I, it's my favorite analogy. My partner's name is also river, which <laughs> works. But, you know, we flow and the riverbed is what contains us and helps us feel safe. I mean, an easy example is just like how often will a, a male be like, well, what do you want for dinner? And you're like, I don't know. We actually like decisions to be made for us for the most part. Like there's something safe about that of like 
someone tell and it it is it's the caveat is choosing the right person right like you want to make sure it's not just anyone because otherwise you can slip into the dynamic of like misaligned values and really that can get quite um dark (laughs) but yeah we're our nature is flow and surrender and trust and the yin like the softness of that which is in every woman you know when we put up these walls around our heart around ourselves and we harden and we start to want to make all the decisions it actually doesn't it doesn't honor our nature and it do, it doesn't work you know back to that question like is it working you know Chloe you mentioned you go into that place a lot like how does it feel when you're in like control mode Mm. it's so chaotic it's I feel like that's where a lot of the frustration overwhelm anxiety just like fight or flight is really um juiced from because it's not where we naturally sit you know totally and if you go back I mean you know I'm not an anthropologist but if you go back to the 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 nature of women you know sitting in community and talking and and caring for the babies and raising the, the it's like we were the community we were sitting we were talking it's the the safety and all that the men were the ones protecting the tribe they were the hunters they had the vision they had to go like we were the, the we were just kind of it if you really just see it as the hunting being like okay there's a goal i'm going to get that animal i'm going to bring it back it's very linear and goal driven and there's force and there's there's difficulty and there's like dedication to achieving a goal and the women it just that doesn't actually work for us if it's funny when we communicate too like my partner will say like well what do you want this or this and i'm like i don't care and he's like well you obviously have a preference and i'm like no my preference is actually for you to make the choice <laughs> like there's something about just being told in it oh my god course. i relate to that so much i'm like i don't mm. can you we just sh- can you make can you help me make this decision like you make the decision and it's not going to be so hard <laughs> and it's, it's not like it's very easy in the way that like feminism has been um taught to us to think that that's like a disempowered woman like you, she can't even make a decision for herself but it's really not about that when uh like when a man and woman come together with that shared vision and aligned values we work differently and we offer different things to the partnership that can actually perfectly honor both partners when we honor our nature. And so, yeah, coming back to that, like, who am I? And it's not that every woman is the exact same. We're definitely not. But getting really clear on what you want and who you are, you know, this, and it's, I'm not trying to like convert every woman to be a stay-at-home mom, but I definitely think that like, we know, we're meant to raise our babies. We're meant to birth in our power. We're meant to raise our babies. We're meant to connect, to be the the home. Like we, we make a house a home is the feminine. You know, that it really is, I think, in every woman's bones, that desire. And it doesn't mean you can't work. Far from it. But like I know for myself, like I <laughs> – I, I don't want to trigger anyone, but like I cook and clean, like I work pretty much full time, but I do all the cooking and cleaning in our home. And it's something that I actually love to do. And I find I really, I've really reflected on it too, because I used to hate doing the dishes when I was single. Like I just, even my past relationship, like I loathe the dishes. And now in this partnership, 
I love doing the dishes. It's like a, I don't know, it's like a gift to the relationship. And his appreciation gives me more than is taken from me energetically by doing the dishes and cooking. Does that make I sense? Think this is, I think this is the, the difference too, because someone listening to this who is really in their masculine, like, oh, this is so, um, you know, limiting to women. And it's so like, you know, all the things. And so I feel like the the point is how it's received. Like if you're with someone who is not appreciative, is, you know, not in his masculine and has those, you know, honoring of the woman, that's mm-hmm. just the crux. It's not going to work if you're constantly doing these things and it's not received the way the feminine wants it received. And that's the destruction, right? I think (laughs) the big point of difference too, because it can look the same, right? There can be the woman that um, cooks and cleans and she might even work and the man who works. It looks the same, but if both parties are doing it from a sense of obligation as opposed to like a devotion to the relationship, is the complete difference because if both give to the relationship almost as a third entity right there's like you there's me and there's the relationship if both are giving this gift to the other and it is met with appreciation like you were saying chloe like my partner is so grateful he he voices it every every time i do the dishes even though it's expected we've we've had a communicated agreement that like this is something i want to do Every single, t- every single time I do the dishes, he thanks me. Every single time I do like the little things, like I fold the laundry, he thanks me. It's like there's a there's something that is given to the relationship. The motivation, the- right? It is everything. It's so met with appreciation that it is – it's like it's not even a task to me. It is literally a gift and it's met by, you know, the giving. David Data talks about the three levels of consciousness in partnership where the first is manipulative, where both people use – the things that they do against the other where it's like, well, I did the dishes. Like, you know, what are you going to do? And then there's the 50-50 where everything's split halfway and that's where you become roommates and there's very little sexual chemistry. And the third is this reclamation of the polarity, this reclamation of more traditional roles. And it can be modern traditional. You know, I, like I said, I love to work. I, I'm a Capricorn North node. I like definitely it's part of my design to bring my passions into the world in a way that, yeah, it serves me, but I can still be in my feminine, but from a place of giving, there's the day that I would use the fact that I do the dishes against him for something that he didn't like, it goes back to mirror work. Like if I have a judgment, it's on me to do that work. And if I think this is actually quite useful to like understanding that if you use something that you do against someone else there is resentment there and resentment is self-abandonment there's something there that you don't want to be doing and so that should be communicated like there needs to be some kind of exploration and communication not to just do something because you're the woman and you should do the dishes it's not about that but like finding it within yourself to negotiate a life and it's not it's not compromise right like negotiation is finding the third option it's not i get my way you get your way it's together we come together, which is, you know, back to choosing the right partner. We come together and negotiate a third option that works for both of us and is likely better than either option A or B. That's, I think that's amazing. The, like the three ways you put that, um, I think that's a really beautiful take home because, 
yeah, holding that tally is like your first steps to resentment. It's the first steps to creating that dysfunction within the household. So to to go at tasks and whatever that may be, um, I guess you can always do it in your feminine, so in a more receptive, soft and loving, nurturing way. Um, yeah, that's it's a really beautiful thing to make sure that you're coming at it from a you know, from a giving place, from a place of, well, I'm actually like what I want is to make your life better and mm-hmm. and then receiving on the other end of that when they then bring in whatever it is they do for the relationship and you you receive that fully and take that on board and then all of a sudden mundane tasks like dishwashing. <laughs> I it's romantic enjoy. somehow. <laughs> yeah, it's mind blowing. Right, and like even, you know, I mean, my husband's away a lot for work and I could look at that like, and I've got so many friends who are in the same position where you can look at it and go, they're away all the time. They get this much time without kids. They get this much sleep, you know, without being woken up 7 million times a night. Um, They don't have to look after sick kids while also getting blah, 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 blah. Or you look at that and you're like, well, he's going out. He's actually losing time with his family which he loves he is bringing in money for us to survive to live this incredible life to put all of you know to put food on the table which is our biggest expense at the moment (laughs) and yeah and then all of a sudden I look at him and I'm like fuck you're sexy yeah (laughs) and polarity that space is so important as well you know Mm. as men like men their highest value is freedom. Like the masculine's highest value is freedom and the feminine's highest value is love. Those intersect in like enlightenment basically, but we're constantly having to grapple with like our desire for connection and the masculine's desire for freedom. So although it's hard, especially as a woman, your desire to be connected all the time, to have that space for him, he can show up as a father and husband for you so much better when he also has this sense of freedom. Yeah. So like yeah. him showing up at the end of the day after separation is like like recharged and in his masculine and like really doing the like the masculine thing, you know, like men used to go out on hunts and come home. It's like it it surely fuels your relationship in ways you might not even realize. Yeah. Yep. Um we had we had a question and I'm not sure if we've completely covered it. Um do you want to read the question, Kishia? I can't remember. Um, it. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. So we had a question. I think we covered the first question, which was mm-hmm. playing victim and falling into that victimhood um, within relationship. Uh, the second question we had was, um, and I think which is a big one that many can relate to, is when two people in the relationship are the dominant um, personalities. So you've got two very dominant personalities. Could you, could you, yeah, um, expand a little bit on that and how that would look like in your sex life, <laughs> <laughs> or just in general? <laughs> it would not look good in the sex life. That's for sure. I mean, we kind of touched on polarity, right? And it doesn't mean that though in in like the bedroom that you can't take turns with dominant energy and submissive energy, but. In partnership, if both people are showing up as the dominant, as the masculine, you know, as the yang, you butt heads because you need the polarity, the flow of, you know, two 
types of dynamics to actually create chemistry and, you know, back to that negotiation of two people honoring themselves in alignment with themselves. And so, you know, assuming, and this, you know, this exists in same sex marriages as well. There's always a polarity. There's someone who's more in the masculine energetic and someone who's more in the feminine energetic. If you are a woman and man in partnership, odds are the woman is naturally in her feminine. And so, you know, kind of like we touched on Chloe, but also how I've been throughout my life, like being in my masculine, which is why I asked you, like, does this work for you? Odds are there's wounding there. And if you really get clear, especially just instance to instance, like in a disagreement, let's say when you're butting heads and the two dominant thing isn't working, to step back after the fact and just reflect, find a container, work with a mentor, sit in women's circle, share your experience, get to know yourself and where in that dynamic you likely have a wound. And it's not that, it's really not that hard to find them if you just kind of quiet the mind a little bit to see what you're believing and judging about the other person, what you think they're thinking about you. Like, how often do we just hop into the head of another person and we think, well, they're thinking this or they're doing this or they're behaving this way? Just to taking it back to yourself and saying, okay, when I show up, you know, as a woman, when I show up in that really masculine, aggressive way, what am I protecting? What am I believing? What am I trying to maintain? What am I tr- like? What needs to be leaned? Like, where can I lean in here? And is this working for me? It's really hard without having more, you know, information about the situation. Yeah. But the reality is, women, when we operate from that way, most of the time there's a wound, and it's a great thing. You know, the way that we're showing up is a protection mechanism, but is it serving you? And is it working? And then if it's not, this is the hero's journey. Like we all come to the human experience with wounds and things to overcome. If life was perfect all the time, it would suck. You know, there's there's actually studies on relationship where like if you have a certain amount of negative to positive experiences in the partnership, it ends. I forget what the ratio is. It's a high amount of negative experiences to positive experiences. But the opposite is also true. If it's always positive and no negative, the relationship also ends. We learn from our partners. Like we grow, we butt heads to learn about ourselves, to learn about how we operate, not only in partnership in the world. And so I would invite curiosity if there's two really strong energies that are butting heads of where you can soften and in a way, without force, understanding yourself, what happened in your life, what you know, what's your birth story, like learn about your red thread, how were you born into the world, how might that inform how you think about the world, what was your first period like, you know, there's a thread and every time you bleed and your first, if you give birth how was that experience? How might that relate to how you were born? There's there's so many angles at which we can heal that are just a part of what we have to do if we want to find inner peace in this life. You know, if we want our relationships to thrive, if we want to not pass down the transgenerational trauma onto our own children, yeah. not that it's ever too late, you know, even if your children are fully grown, 
imagine like your own parent coming to you and saying, which my mom has, my mom has apologized to me, you know, as an adult, she said, like, I parented you unconsciously and she's apologized. And so it's never too late to do the work, to heal the relationships, to heal the wounds, to heal, to find inner peace. Oh, that's beautiful. I just realized that we have been talking <laughs> for a solid hour and a half. Um, so we might wrap it up there unless mm. there was any last things you wanted to talk about. I just want to um, direct all of our listeners to Camille's Substack because she used to share yes. this juicy stuff on Instagram and now she realized that it was way too valuable for Instagram, which I completely agree. <laughs> so um your Substack is full of this amazing stuff, um, so you should go listen. But um, yeah, it's a, it's a different else? platform. Yeah, there's just more opportunity. Instagram, I mean, for better or worse, it's amazing, and the algorithm, I just can't anymore. <laughs> like, mm. you know, you put, you try and put effort <sighs> into like creating something useful, and it kind of just disappears. And who knows what you have to use all these. I just like. Yeah, no. it's, it's like TikTok. We're navigating that at the moment. <laughs> Have fun with that. Yeah. Yes. Just um, jump straight onto Substack. Yeah. But um, we'll we'll link to mm-hmm. how people can get in contact with you if they wanted further information, Camille, and also to see your world of offerings, which are beautiful. Um, thank you. Yeah, but I thank feel like you so much. That's going to be an episode two, three, and so on. <laughs> I would be honored. You guys can come on my podcast too. We can just kind of keep the conversation going. <laughs> just Let's keep chatting. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing! Thank you so much for joining us today, Camille. It's been really mm-hmm. eye-opening, and you have shared so many gems with us. And yeah, it'll be great to hear our listeners' feedback um, for part two. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be honored to come back. Amazing. Thank you. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Road to Wisdom podcast. To join the journey, you can follow us on Instagram at theroadtowisdom.podcast and at www.theroadtowisdompodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. We look forward to seeing you next week with more juicy content.